of 2 Samuel, chapters 12, verses 1 to 7a. And I'm reading from the NIV. 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 to 7a. The Lord said, sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Handsome, hey? You don't know him. That's my husband. So. <laughs> Not to say that about random people. Good morning, everyone. Big welcome to all of you this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Angela, and I serve here on staff as the Worship and Creative Ministries Director. And I'm just really excited to be here with you this morning, and especially if you're new here, we really do love to welcome you here today. Um, this morning, I love the feel when, it ha when we come together, two services in one. And I know it can be a bit hard or more difficult for our worship teams to manage because we have our early service traditions and then we have our 1030 family service style. But to me, we are worshiping the same God, are we not? And when we come together and worship together, there is power in that. And I love when we come together and we can worship all generations, from the littlest to the not-so-littlest. It's lovely to come together and worship God together. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, God. We thank you that you are already working here. We thank you, God, that um, you love this place and that you want to see us grow. And Father, we just pray that this morning you would help us to have open ears and hearts to hear from your word today. God, I pray that you would use me in a way that speaks to people only the way that you want to, Father. And ask God that my words would be your words today. And I do pray that your spirit would move here continuously among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been hearing some great stories over the last couple weeks, if you've been coming to church. Um, from David and the Discover Hope series. And this series has been all about when you're over what the world has to offer, that you can discover hope. So the first week we used it as a play on words. So the first week was when you feel overlooked. 
And Tim shared the story of how David was anointed as king, though he was the youngest and the least likely to suit the role. When we feel overworked, God still sees us. He sees our hearts, right? Then last week we heard from the story of the story of David and Goliath from Nathan in the morning and Josh shared in the in the evening, and that when we feel overpowered over again, when we feel overpowered. God gives us everything that we need to overcome whatever giants that we're facing. And today, we're going to be talking about being overwhelmed by failure. Yay! <laughs> Has anyone ever felt overwhelmed by failure before? I certainly have. And today's message for, is for anyone that has ever felt like they've taken one step forward and maybe two steps back in their faith. Or for anyone that has ever felt stuck or constricted or maybe limited in your ministry because of lack of confidence or because of weakness and maybe your own ability. Or maybe today you feel like you're dealing with that same sin over and over and over again and you're sick of it and you're overwhelmed with your failing. Today's message is for you. When you are overwhelmed by failure, you can discover hope. I don't know if many of you know, but I love to bake fancy cakes. It's something that I've always loved to do, and I love the space and the creativity there is for it, the challenge of designing something and then building it into something and the eating of the creations that you get to make. That's a very a fun part for me. And these are some of the things that I have made over the past years for some people. But what I love most about the time it takes to make a cake is that there is quite a bit of time that is required to make a cake. And because of the many hours as I was building cakes, I realized I was beginning to think a lot about the people that I was building these cakes for. And the more and more I did it, I started to use it as a creative intercession time. So it was a time where I could actually be praying for the people that I'm building this creation for, the amount of hours that goes into it. So cake making became a real ministry time for me. Now, I have to confess, not all my cakes turn out. In fact, if you ask any baker, they will tell you that they have all experienced their fair share of failures. Because what I've realized over time is that success requires failure. And I can't just know how to make a fancy cake. I can't just know how to do that without working at it and going through my fair share of failures, my fair share of tears, and learning lessons to get to that point of success. Has anyone seen the show Nailed It? It's a Netflix show, and basically the premise of it is that it's a baking competition for amateurs. And you're expected to make complicated cakes, impossible creations in a limited amount of time. So they're setting you up for failure. You are not going to create. So here's some examples. We have this beautiful, this is what they were trying to make, and that's what ended up happening. And now it's come to this point now where when you say nailed it, you actually don't mean you nailed it. <laughs> I've had some epic fails of my own. This is mine. You don't always Instagram or social media these ones, but I did because I felt like we have to show all the good and the bad. So on the right is what I attempted to do for my son's sixth birthday. The left is what ended up happening. 
And apparently there's no amount of lollies or candles that you can put on the top to cover the sin of the cake. I also had another time where, when, when Lee and I were first married, I was making a cake for my goddaughter. And because she was special to me, I wanted to make something really fancy and beautiful. This is at the beginning, so I haven't had enough failures to learn things yet. And everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. And I was li literally sitting there looking at this pile of goo thinking, there is no way that I can serve this. And I was getting so frustrated and felt like such a failure. Like, I should be able to do this. And I wanted to do it. It's something nice for somebody else. I literally picked up the cake and was so frustrated that I threw it at the wall. <laughs> then there was cake on the wall, and then there was cake on the ceiling and on the floor and all over myself. And Lee walks in. This new bride. Oh. <laughs> and Lee in his wisdom, he doesn't say anything. He just picks up a cloth and just starts to clean. <laughs> it could have been the, the daggers. I was like, I dare you to say anything right now. <laughs> but we do all have our failing moments, don't we? Some are funny, but some are maybe not so funny. But all of which can be used to teach us how to develop and how to build our character as we grow. In 2 Samuel 12 today, we step into Scripture and we look at David who has had to face some character building of his own. And this chapter starts with Nathan, who's from David's royal court and he has been sent by God to come and confront David about his behavior and about his actions and about his failings. The important thing to note here is that Nathan doesn't come to confront David because of his own agenda. He doesn't come because he needs to tell him off He's not being very kingly. I'm coming to tell you off. But what we see in verse 1, right from the start, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And I wonder how Nathan felt, knowing he had to go and confront his boss, the king. He's going to tell you a few things about the evil things he had done. And who wants to sign up for that job? And I think it was one of those times when he realizes his own words of rebuke wouldn't have worked. And I wonder if at times as Christians we can approach our brothers and sisters about how they should be living but not exactly be sent by God and not exactly with the right heart intent. Our agenda versus God's agenda. Some of us love to tell others what to do. Perhaps we can even think of someone right now that loves to tell us what to do. But when that happens in the wrong spirit and not in God's timing, what ends up happening is that the person's not going to listen to you anyway. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that before. So when the Lord sends us, he gives us wisdom. He can give us wisdom in how to get it through in much more effective way than we might do it on our own. So when Nathan approaches David, sent by God, he tells him this story. Two men in a city. One rich with lots of flocks and lots of herds, lots of wealth, and one poor man. There's a family and one little ewe lamb that he has bought. And the story goes that a traveler had come to see the rich man. And the rich man decides he wants to give a feast to this traveler. So instead of taking something from his own flock, from his own hundreds of cattle and sheep and whatever he has on the hills, he takes the pet lamb 
It says in the scriptures that it was such a part of the family that it like drank from his cup and slept in his arms and it was a part of the family. It even said it treated him like a daughter. He took their pet and served it up as lunch for this traveler. And hearing this story, how does David respond? Verse 5 and 6, it says, David burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing, and he had no pity. And in my other version, it says he had no compassion. It's easy to look at this story and see the injustice in it. That wasn't right. That shouldn't have happened. That was their pet. Hi, Evie. She's waving at me. And the next words out of Nathan's mouth, I doubt David was prepared to hear. Verse 7, you are that man. You are the man. You are that rich man. And I'll think all of a sudden he, in his own, he can hear his own words echoing in his ears. That man should die. That man should pay four times over what he's done. He's had no compassion. You see, I think up to this point, David thinks he's gotten away with it. He's gotten away with what he's done. But sin has a way of creeping up and revealing itself, of coming to light, sometimes at the most inopportune times. And it says in Luke 8, verse 17, there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and there's nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Whether we like it or not, the things that are hidden, that are done in secret, will be brought to light. And all of a sudden, there is a big, bright, shining light on David's life. What did David do that was so bad? We heard these great stories recently about how he was the chosen one by God and how he killed Goliath and all these really incredible stories. What did this man that was after God's own heart do? He saw a woman bathing on a rooftop nearby. And he saw her and he liked what he saw. And he said, I want her. He sends his servants to go get her and bring him to him. And he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh no, I'm going to get found out. And so he starts to create his own cover-up. All right, so because she's married, I'll, what I'll do is I'll send her husband home to her so that they can lay together and then it will look like it's their child and not my child. And then I'll be free. And her husband, Uriah, is a leader in an army, and he can't give up his post, and he decides, I won't go home. Oh, no. You're so committed to my army that I put you in charge of. That's good. Um, what should I do next? All of a sudden, he has to do the next thing, and sin has a way of snowballing into something even bigger and bigger. And what he does is he sends Uriah to the front lines, and his plan is, because when you go to the front lines, what happens there? you're going to probably die. He sends him to the front lines, and Uriah does die. And it says that after Bathsheba finishes mourning him, however long that took, David takes Bathsheba to be his own wife then. So then I think at this point, David thinks he's sorted it all out. He thinks he's gotten away with it until God sends Nathan even this great man fell short. David, a king, a chosen man by God, a man after God's own heart, 
who brought the giant Goliath down, a leader, a musician, a writer, someone that we study as a character in the Bible that we think is so amazing. Even great men fall short. There is no class distinction in that. You don't have enough money or power to escape that. And in a sinful world, in a sinful creatures, if we are not mindful of our weaknesses, we too can fall. But this is when the hope starts comes, the hope stuff starts, because it's the best part. Do you know God is even bigger than our oopsies? I think that's a song we should write one day. Do you know that scripture says that God is for us? He's for you. He's for you. He's not standing up there waiting for us to fail with his clipboard, taking notes every evil deed that you've done, ready to smite us. The hope we have is this, that despite our failings, and despite of whatever predicaments we find ourselves in, or whatever sin we've allowed to entangle us, that's not the end of the story. We don't have to be defined by our failure. In fact, these are the moments where God gets to shine. In our weakness, he is... In our weakness, he is... In our weakness, he is... So what do we have to be? Weak. I think sometimes in our strength we want God to be strong, but it's actually in our weakness that God is strong. Just as we reach the lowest and the darkest valleys, that's where all of a sudden God's power and strength and grace and love come through and shine through, radically often to change us. And because God is for us, he helps us to learn through these failures, to teach us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to move forward to something better. And I think many of us struggle in the world to face our failures. I think we do. We don't want to sit there and look at them for very long. And we can cover it up with things like pleasure and food and shopping and screens and Netflix shows to numb us from facing that truth. But the true measure of a person's character is how we respond when we are face-to-face -face with our failure. When you are face-to-face -face with your failure, how do you respond? That's your character. When you've been called out and you have to face the music, and David teaches us what we should do in those moments. Are we feeling a bit hot? I feel like I am so hot up here, I'm going to die. <laughs> David teaches us what we should do in moments when we are rebuked or convicted. Now I can't see my nose. <laughs> I'm just never happy, am I? There's three things that I want to talk about as we finish here. The first is, he receives it. He receives the rebuke. He humbly receives it. David allows him to face the ugliness of his failings. He realizes he's been caught. There's nothing he can do anyway. He's trying. He can't bury it anymore. The second thing is that he confesses it. Verse 13, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And it's not just saying the words, sorry, sorry, whoops. But it was allowing himself to feel the weight of what he had done to understand the ramifications of his actions, to feel the pain of it. He was being devastated by your behavior, so it can change you. It says in Scripture that when we confess our sins, God is faithful, and he's just to forgive us our sins. And the third thing David does is he repents. 
and he acknowledges the consequence. Even though he is repentant and forgiven, it doesn't mean that he avoids having to face consequence. In verse 13 it says, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. So he's been forgiven. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. This was one of the many consequences that he had to face. We are not free from consequence. And David accepts his consequences. He doesn't let those consequences become a stumbling block to his future, to serving and loving God. After his son dies, he doesn't wallow in his sorrow. He doesn't lay there and say, woe is me. He gets up. He washes himself, he dresses himself, and he goes and he worships God. He moves forward. I'm going to ask the band to come up, please. Today you may be sitting here and feeling maybe overwhelmed by your own failings or your own sin. And like I said earlier, the hope we have today is that your story isn't finished. Your story's not over yet. God loves to use the broken, the failing, the fallen short, the crippled, the crushed, the damaged, the shattered, the not good enough. He has a plan and he has a purpose for all of you. no matter how much of a failure you think you are, how much hard stuff or poor choices that you have made me made in your life, no matter how much sin we've let take root in our hearts and we have not bothered to even look, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And I'm wanting to encourage you guys to not let the enemy steal what God has planned for you to be crippled by our own fears or crippled by our own failings, what, we, what we're not capable of able, even able to do on our own, but to be encouraged to let God be that strength when we are weak. Because I have news for you, we are weak. Let's stand. This morning I want to pray for you. you feel like you have been in a place where failure has been the number one thing to rule your life, maybe I can pray for you this morning. Do you feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted you of something that he's like, I'd really like, like this to be gone. Let's, let's weed this out. Maybe Maybe it's time that you confess to God that sin and actually said, I did this sin, like David said. I did this. And actually allow yourself to feel the weight of the decisions that you've made and the impact and the ramifications it's had on other people. That's not easy stuff. Unfortunately, the only way through hard things like this is through. You can't expect someone else to take it for you. You can't hope that it will just go away. You can't hope that the sin is so well covered that it will never come out into the open. And I don't want to let the consequences of what we're facing 
limit us from moving forward into what God has for us. You might have felt that in your own walk, but only been able to go this far because, you know what, who am I to do anything? I'm only this good or bad. That's not God's plan for you at all. This morning, as we pray, if you would like to join me, one of the things I want to do is hold our hands out sort of like this. It's kind of a receiving posture. There's no special magic in holding your hands out that all of a sudden something crazy is going to happen. But there's a posture when we open our hands like this that says, I receive from you, Father, from you, God. And I believe that you're going to speak to us today. And in that, I'm going to make space in our prayer for you to confess something to God if you feel like there's something in you that you want to confess. Lord Jesus, we are weak. We are failures. We recognize that without you, there's not really much to us. And Lord, I know that even today you are working in people's hearts, wanting us to change and to grow and be transformed into the people that you want us to be. Lord, we don't want to let limitations and things of this world take away from us any longer. We want to release the way, old way, the old self, the way that we've been doing things in the past and do something new. I pray, God, that today, as we stand here with our hands out to you, ready to receive from you, we ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, that you would speak to us, you would show us the things that you want us to face that we might have been numbing ourselves to, not allowing ourselves to see, or ignoring, hoping it would go away. Really sorry, I'm going to interrupt this prayer. I really sent to that if, this, if you haven't met Jesus yet, I want to encourage you that I would love to pray for you today too. That there is a space to... Make him Lord of your life. So Lord, in this prayer, also say, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, that we want to say yes to you today, God, we will do that this morning and allow you to be the king. Right now, God, I pray that you would show us in our lives maybe things that we could get rid of, things that have been standing in the way of our relationship with you. Fear, worry, anxiety, struggles, sin, all sorts of things, Lord. Right now, in this quiet moment, we want to confess whatever that is to you and trust you with it.
forgive you our failings, just who we are. We ask, Lord, that you would renew us, make us new, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know we can trust you, even with our deepest, darkest secrets. Lord, may you be the strength in our weakness today. Help us move forward, beyond, allowing the circumstances and the consequences around us to limit us from loving and serving you the way you want us to, Father. Thank you that you love us so much, that you're constantly in pursuit of us. It doesn't matter how far we run, you will seek and find us and call us back, invite us back into your family every single time, no matter what we have done, no matter how big the sin, how little the sin even, Lord. You seek us and you love us with so much passion. We thank you for that, Father. We worship you for being a God that loves us no matter how hard it is or no matter what we face today. In Jesus' name, amen.